Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Haymond. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Now, Ryan, you were telling me just before we started recording that you've been getting into Super Nintendo game collecting. Yeah, I I don't want to um, say that I'm all the way in because I'm kind of just trying to mostly amass games from my childhood, but I picked up the analog Super NT and um, mm. one of the things it says in its booklet is, hey, don't put dirty cartridges in this thing. And so it's gotten me into looking at game PCBs, which are uh, printed circuit boards and cracking them open and cleaning them. And uh, yeah, I think it specifically just means to not play Leisure Suit Larry. I don't think you're <laughs> supposed to be taking it this far. Yeah. Anything where you can throw dollar bills at ladies, you can't put into the console. <laughs> I actually ended up going as far as to picking up Chrono Trigger, which is a game I've never played. Everybody always says it's one of the best Mm -hmm. RPGs of all time. And the first one I bought was a fake uh, from eBay. Uh, And uh, the lady was nice enough where she she, uh, issued me a refund and she said, I'm selling these on behalf of my son and I'll give him a stern talking to. (laughs) Um, But I wouldn't have known it was a fake unless I was doing this kind of opening up the carts and uh, looking at the the parts inside of them and verifying they're authentic and all that stuff. But I ended up getting a legitimate copy and now I've started that. So yeah, Chrono Trigger, weirdly, is going to be the next game I, I play. I mean, for the non-discerning customer, though, does it, you know, does it give him sunglasses or does it boot Dr. Mario when you <laughs> start it up or something? You know, I was having that conversation and I want to pose this to you, H, before we go into our pitches if a game contains technically all the same data if it is in a cartridge if you're plugging it into what is ostensibly a super nintendo is it the game and this is something i struggle with okay well i would argue yes because you know i can watch a movie on a uh, burnt dvd disc and still come away having experienced a classic but uh uh, I mean, I guess it's not the cartridge that Nintendo or Square specifically printed, but uh, I mean, you're still having the experience, right? So is is the game in the physical ones and zeros or is it in the the good times we had along the way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the question. And I, I think as I go down this collecting uh, rabbit hole and I start to consider my own uh, proclivities as a designer of like, hey, maybe some of these beat up labels, I can go and design my own labels and make an art project out of it. But now if I'm if I'm cleaning these cartridges or if I'm attaching new batteries and changing the labels then is it still the game, you know? So I'm kind of on either side of the fence. I can see a Mm. hardcore collector can say, no, that's not the game. But to your point, if it's still Chrono Trigger inside and and you can play start to finish uh, Chrono Trigger, then it's Chrono Trigger, right? You know, this debate comes up a lot with arcade game and pinball machine collectors because oftentimes the cabinets aren't going to hold up or the 
decals lose some of their luster over time. And so right. people will print up uh, recreations of these um, of these cabinets and all the art on them. And people wonder like, okay, is this an authentic reproduction? Because, I mean, obviously these are all created by somebody somewhere. And if you're using a close enough approximation of the means of production, you're essentially coming away with an almost indistinguishable experience. But is there any magic that's lost in it going through your hands instead of, you know, midway? <laughs> yeah, I and I, I don't definitively know the answer and no one will probably ever, uh, there'll always be sides that disagree on this type of thing. But yeah, if anybody on, on Twitter ever needs some Super Nintendo game, very light collecting advice or cleaning advice, I've done all the <laughs> stupid research now. So I'm kind of a prosumer about it. It's very strange. Very good. That's It's interesting. Well, we'll see if that influences our own video game design ideas tonight as we get into pitching brand new video games. Q, why don't you start us off this week? So my pitch H this week is you play as a golf ball diver. This is a real profession. Uh, people that are diving into pools of water on golf courses where they collect golf balls. Um, but I figured go and make it really strange and dramatic and maybe uh, either have a procedurally generated golf course or certainly um, some level of randomness as to the body of water you're exploring, uh, battle snakes and, and water creatures as you fight to collect all the golf balls that are underground. Uh, and you turn in those golf balls for money, just like the golf ball divers really do. It's very strange. And, uh, <laughs> and you can do this maybe touring all of the famous golf courses of the world. Um, and diving into their various water traps. So, golf ball diving. All right, we'll start the clock there. You know, I just finished playing SteamWorld Dig 2, and so this idea of <laughs> an ever-unfolding subterranean world where you try to find all these golf balls, and, you know, maybe there's some sort of, a, as you get deeper under the water or under the ground, it can kind of expand into the golf balls could have planted these like golf trees or this yes. entire underground world where golf balls are currency. It could, it could get interesting. How do you see this? What is your, uh, what is your vision for this? Cause this could still go any number of ways. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of the sort of steam world angle of the whole thing um, and making it feel like 2d and you are kind of controlling it maybe a little bit like a Mario water level or something where you can kind of mm -hmm. go up and down. But also I could see a version of this that feels a little bit more like Subnautica, strangely, mm -hmm. where you uh, you eventually have to dive so deep that you need um, different tanks of oxygen or breathing equipment <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're you're crafting an exploration vessel to go just find these stupid golf balls and maybe there's you know rarity of golf balls golf ball types and all, all that kind of stuff and there's these undersea deep sea creatures i was playing a vr game the other day not really a game just kind of an experience that you have as uh, vr software is wanted to do fairly often called mm -hmm. the blue which is like you are just kind of dropped in these underground, underwater, excuse me, underwater uh, scenes of oceanic beauty. 
You see wow. the uh, fish swim by. Uh, the first yeah. one is like a coral reef scene where there's all these tropical finding Nemo fish that swim around you and kind of react if you put your hand too close. And there's a sea turtle that kind of gently drifts by. And I noticed the third, uh, the third stage, I guess, on this tour of the uh, undersea is a deep sea type of level where there's, uh, you know, presumably a dark, deep underwater with these angler fish and other deep sea monstrosities. And I was just, I didn't click on it because that's kind of something that I innately fear already. I was like, I'm not right. I'm not sure I'm ready to do this in VR. <laughs> yeah, there is. That's what uh, Subnautica really unlocked for me is yeah. <laughs> this strange fear of the ocean and just especially Subnautica for people that don't know is a sort of aqua survival game, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. um, with some other cool things around the the edges. But it has a day night cycle. And I found myself really clamming up when it came to uh, going anywhere or doing anything at night. I became almost paralyzed uh, in my ability to explore until I eventually could reliably sort of light areas or felt felt that I had the right equipment. So. Yeah, I I think it would be really cool because I I I started my search on looking for some very strange professions, um, and golf ball diver came up, and I guess these guys just go and they kind of bring with them a net of you know some varying size, and the more golf balls they bring back, they get paid something like you know five cents a ball or twenty five cents a ball, you know something totally insignificant, and I just love the idea of having a whole upgrade tree. Um, and equipment that's all based around collecting very menial amounts of money. Why would people do this? <laughs> it's five cents a ball. Like, what is their, what's in it for them? I don't know. I guess maybe r- r- aqua robot technology has not caught up to the point where it can reliably suck up only golf balls and not fish. But yeah, no, it is a real job. And you kind of have to go in with your snorkels and, and a lot of times these things are pretty shallow water. So they've, they've got like weeds and, and all this stuff. They go in with knives and they, they cut them or they, you know, they get them loose and they try and recover golf balls for the course. All right. Well, I guess you can get penalized if you grab like turtle eggs and stuff instead. There could be all sorts of like fake items down there that look round and white that you have to make sure not to pick up. Yeah. And I, how about like if you go to all these different courses, you go to, a you know, a course in Ireland or something, and perhaps there's different sorts of collectibles while you're down and around these areas. I, I imagine you can get like some ridiculous type of weaponry and just totally break fiction to have to fight fish uh, and, yeah. and and kind of maybe there's cer- certain kinds of clams that have golf balls stuck in them. And so <laughs> you can only uh, get it from them as they're kind of opening and closing and different sorts of animals that have swallowed the golf balls and some sort of tell to know, oh, that one, that one probably has a ball inside of it. So I got to track it down or or captured in a different way. Or maybe golf balls come alive in these undersea worlds, and so you have to retrieve them to take them out of the water so they revert back to their lifeless forms. Oh, and so yeah. the entire time you're kind of dragging them as they're trying to escape, and there's a little bit of a struggle, kind of like fishing in a way. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you can develop all sorts of like stun and capture based uh, 
upgrades in technology just to capture the golf balls themselves like they are the different obstacles because golf i mean golf balls have different colors and and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff so you can you could definitely tie that give them all weird little faces i would really love to uh stranger's wrath style odd world <laughs> pick yeah, up yeah. a golf ball and have it kind of <laughs> stare at me strangely as i as i carried it back to the surface it could be kind of fun if you could choose to either just capture one and then take it up for its bounty or try to wrangle like six or seven of them, but they're all trying to pull on you. So you have to like outsmart them to get them going in the right direction and actually propel you forward or, you know, somehow, I don't know about pacifying them, but you know, it would be more of a struggle to try to carry more of them at once. You know, it's something that you don't really get in these uh, steam world dig games that you come across like, the maximum carry load of your current bag. Uh, and that's the, the limiting factor for how many resources you can take to the surface again. But um, yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's none of that more kind of like emergent challenge. Yeah. I really like the idea of making it almost run based or something where mm-hmm. you, you go in and yeah, it becomes burdensome to carry more and more of these golf balls. Maybe as you put them collectively in your net they have more sort of navigation power than you if uh, if uh, mm-hmm. if there's enough of them right it's kind of they're trying to pull you in one direction and you're trying to get out so yeah they're they're always fighting against you right they don't want to be returned so <laughs> trying to push you into obstacles or something like that yeah really inconvenient just ruining your day all you're trying yeah. to do is make <laughs> 25 cents I, I want all the currency to be like really really small <laughs> amounts i think that's important so is the outside world just the normal world that we know is it uh are, are we keeping all the strange things underwater as a juxtaposition or is this some sort of a different world in which being a golf ball diver would make financial sense for a person <laughs> i think it would be nice if yeah if it was a very maybe even played for comedic effect a very mundane world there's some question as to whether or not the actions of the golf ball diver are in his or her imagination. And, you know, this is like the job is so boring and repetitive that they've kind of made all this up to keep themselves entertained and occupied. But I also like the idea of really having maybe there's a point where you encounter a really large creature or some sort of boss battle and it just ends with the most, you know, mundane, okay, here's here's the bag of golf balls. And the person takes, you know, 25 cents uh, and gives that back to you. And, and maybe you even try to explain to them what's going on underneath and they're just very uninterested and, and don't want to hear it. You know, maybe there's a mechanic where carrying them back is such a pain, but if you hit them with a golf club, then they kind of revert back to their normal selves for a little while. Uh, just long enough for you to kind of catch up and maybe hit them again or choose to pocket them at that point. But just a way to maybe take a shortcut or save a little bit of time would have been slower to swim there. But the mechanics of hitting a golf ball underwater would be a little bit less predictable than over the land. That's really cool. So essentially, if maybe the go in with different clubs or you you have to capture different balls with different types of clubs so you're constantly sort of switching between tools to be like oh that's of this kind and uh, i have to go chase after this with this club or something like or just that based on like what types of uh gaps you have to hit them through or where you want them to land on your journey so that you can kind of keep them all together 
So if it is a little bit more 2D sort of Mario water level, maybe you could kind of, you have to sort of desert golf these things into a yeah. a little net area, right? And so <laughs> you're just doing a very strange, now you can be in one of those good um, underwater, like giant iron suits <laughs> and be doing a very slow, methodical version of golf to kind of wrangle these things in. And, and it can be more fantastical with all the, the obstacles and, and creatures and stuff, I think, in that way still. We have to wrap this one up. What kind of a name do we want to give this game? <laughs> I've wanted to... Okay, the one that I've got written down is Dive Master's Tour. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything better off the top of my head. <laughs> it works? All right. Fantastic. All right, that is Dive Master's Tour Underwater Golf Ball Retrieving Simulator. All right, we're going into my pitch now. What I'm bringing is, uh, I don't know, maybe simple. Let's see how quickly I can get through this. I always say that and I end up talking for way too long. So what I want is an RPG that, similar to the early, early episode that we pitched, a Legend of Zelda type game where... You started off in Hyrule, but that was like the challenge world. And then every time you die, you would go back to Termina. And that would be like the normal path of progression. But then, you know, once you got some sort of an item, you can ascend back up to Hyrule to go on a challenge run to see if you can get any more of that valuable treasure and just, you know, see how far you can get and how much you can collect before dying and going back to like the easier world. Uh, So I want to do something similar. You're on an RPG. And you're going through your normal run of caves and palaces and dungeons and whatnot. But it's all kind of, not gated necessarily, but it's all very challenging. Except you, the character, can't level up, but your weapons can. And the way that you power up your weapons is by shrinking down and going inside of your weapons... And all of these weapons are these complex kind of runic shapes like you would find in the Shadow of the Colossus or something like that, that are like these twisty dungeons in and of themselves. And so as you go into the weapon, as, you know, it turns into this like enormous building-sized structure right in front of you as you shrink down, uh, then you're able to and have rid it of some of its ailments and unlock um, more power levels within the weapons. And depending on the types of weapons that you choose, your course of progression looks different and behaves differently and you have to use different tactics and stuff. But um, you're doing all this to power up your arsenal to take these um, the real-world dungeons with more powerful weaponry. So I'm uh, leaving that there. Let's start the clock. I love this idea. And when you start talking about it, I almost not to immediately change it, but I almost started thinking of what if in one world it's a first person shooter. Uh, and then in when you shrink down, you're inside of the guns and that sort of thing. But I, I, okay. Yeah. Going Mm -hmm. in, going back to your premise, what I really like about this is using the real world dungeons to maybe unlock tools and abilities and, Imagine if going inside of a gun, like the two worlds felt more like Breath of the Wild and Link to the Past. So inside the okay. gun, you kind of have this a little bit more simplistic architecture. It's a little bit more Link to the Past. But if you got the hook shot or something in the 3D world, 
that yeah. carries with you into the 2D world. And so you get to kind of use both versions of the tool, whichever tool you're earning, uh, to to kind of keep powering up your weapons. Yeah, it's a good twist. I'm kind of inspired by the Phantom Hourglass, uh, one of the Legend of Zelda games on the DS. Uh, not one of my favorite ones in total, but you kind of kept returning to this giant tower throughout the game. And then also from the newest Zelda, Breath of the Wild, it's uh, Trial of the Sword or something like that. It was the DLC where uh, you powered up the Master Sword by tackling a series of challenges. And, you know, that that doesn't take place within the Master Sword itself, but I thought that would be kind of a cool twist. Yeah, that's really neat. I One of the things I almost want to think of is how navigating the weapon feels like i wonder if it feels more like a dungeon in itself or does it feel a little bit more like a almost like kind of running around in a ftl like if you were just inside a little ship and there's kind of known spaces mm. or if it's a, maybe i guess it would be more of a metroid sort of experience right where there are gate, yeah. gated off sections that you can only access like once you get certain like a big labyrinthine type of almost unknowably large space because it lends a lot of mythological value to these items that you're just carrying around with you yeah. makes them seem kind of like larger than life in the way that you know, a lot of games have done interesting things to personify their weapons. Uh, in the Legend of Zelda keeps using the same Master Sword game and game again, which lends it this mythic value. The newest Xenoblade game uh, turns its blades into other human characters that they can interact with and talk to uh, as its way of personifying its weapons. And I uh, thought this would be another way of of doing that, but also the uh, kind of labyrinthine structure of these weapon dungeons uh, kind of gives them that sense of like an ancient civilization created them. And uh, like the, um, what are they, not the guardians, the, um, in the new Zelda game, the, the dungeon stand-ins, these uh, ancient oh. beasts, what are they? <laughs> yeah, I know this. Uh, yeah. I guess I shouldn't too. Um, yeah, let's call them ancient beasts for right okay. now. It's something beasts, right? Or the yeah, it's oh, it's gonna bother me. Anyways, um, <laughs> I did just play it last year. I'm getting too old for this now, I guess. <laughs> but you know that they feel like these complex machines, but they feel like really ancient, and there's something really magical about the uh, the vision of these ancient people and the the level of care and magic that was put into them. Yeah, and it would also make sense if the inside of the weapon felt divine I, I, beasts oh the divine <laughs> beast <laughs> we oh, did it sorry. uh old man h and q so if if the inside of these weapons maybe it would be simplifying them to make the layout standardized like this but it almost feels like a skill tree like relate mm -hmm. like if you go down a related section or a part mm, of the yeah. weapon that's where you're kind of unlocking and and potentially battling monsters that would be useful to use these these types of abilities against, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, actually, to be able to make some choices with the routes that you take. What I like about the idea is that it's, it's questioning the fact that all the time when we're upgrading weapons and skills and abilities in a game, it's like the fun is the game, and then actually getting the upgrade is an option in a menu. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
to try and uh, take the time and effort of making well what if gaining the option isn't just like a you know okay i earn the points here let's push a button it's now i earn the points i earned a certain number of keys or something and i know that that'll unlock a certain amount yeah, of doors yeah. right and so now i'm going in and i'm exploring this second world and it's like okay i've only got six keys to use this door th- takes three keys is this really the one i want to be opening um there could be an amazing shard or upgrade or uh or giant machine in here but i don't know yeah that's interesting it's also kind of like dark souls where you have all these different weapon types but you're not necessarily like getting duplicates of a lot of weapons. Um, and so, you know, you really have this choice in what you want to, um, specialize in weapon wise, but you have a limited number of upgrade resources. And so you can't realistically get all of your weapons to a usable end game state. Like you really have to make those choices and, uh, choose which ones you want to specialize in. Um, I love the idea, too, of if you're able to unlock something, you know, maybe every time you do finally unlock or, or gain some ability in the weapon, you're kind of triggering a large machine and have to maybe undergo an escape sequence, right, to get back to the launch pad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like you you get so far, but you know you have to kind of backtrack so every time you go to upgrade it's even harder to get to the next place right because you got to battle all the previous enemies um along the way as long you have to remember your way out as well yeah 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 that'd be really kind of fun yeah and that also kind of gets you a little bit more attached to your weapon because you spend this time kind of retracing the same route through the weapon and getting to know your way around it and it starts to feel and of like home base. And then what, what you could do is have a last level or a last section of the game feel like it is a giant uh, labyrinth led by or followed by an escape sequence mm, uh-huh. and kind of <laughs> mirror all the things you've learned in the small world uh, on your way out. Or if you could get towards the end of the game, like some little minion that can run your weapon dungeon for you. And then as you get into climbing more of these towers at the end, you start to kind of wonder like, am I just a minion to some sort of a greater being in in their (laughs) celestial weapon up on a higher level? Oh, that is, that's exactly what you have to do. You just wait a second. (laughs) Am I in the matrix? That's what it's all about. Exactly. What I also like to (laughs) is if you keep upgrading this weapon, the weapon maybe starts to become if you shrink yourself and go into it in a moment where you don't have a lot of ammo or perhaps you've shot it too much and it's overheating or it's overused in some Mm. way that affects the state of the world inside of the weapon. Yeah. So you kind of have to perform repairs inside there instead of just using a repair stone or whatever, you have to actually go inside and patch up some of the damaged areas, kind of like FTL. Yeah, and and now we're also getting to one of our old pitches, which is the climb outside of your mech yeah. <laughs> to repair it kind of thing, which is kind of cool. kind of like a gun baby, to go back to one of our early ones. <laughs> oh, gun baby. Um, <laughs> this is this, the same guy who pitched the video game Ceasefire also pitched gun baby. Remember that, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
yeah, the last point that I want to make on this is that I think that just like the visual of whether or not it's the escape, but if you if there's parts of the um, weapon or staff or whatever world that you're in where you're going into exteriors and it kind of does feel like you're a fly on a giant weapon you can almost like climbing on the side of a ship in mass effect during some of those final moments uh have it feel like a giant epic thing is happening uh, around you but you are very small kind of trying to accomplish this small task as you you make your way i think that would be a really cool feeling in this let's call it on that one and let's give it a name. I was thinking about maybe just calling it like the name of a type of weapon, like Claymore or something that just kind of stand alone. But the game is all about kind of choosing your weapon. So I don't know if I want to lock it into that kind of limited experience there. It is, that only represents a small percentage of the players. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. I, I like Claymore if the weapon is a giant uh, blade of some sort, right? A Claymore yeah. and... And that, you know, in and of itself would seem massive enough to have a ton of little cracks and crevices and pathways to explore. Okay. Well, yeah, we can call it that. And that can be like how Pokemon has the box legendaries, but that isn't necessarily the only viable team. (laughs) So, you know, you could choose to be a gun or a spear or a crossbow owner or whatever. But, uh, you know, for the sake of we need something to put on the box, Claymore it is then. Yeah, you can add a colon in something crazy if you want to, to make it more explanatory when we ship, you know, when, when we ship. Yeah, of course. All right, let us go now to the community. This was submitted to our website at playwrightcast.com slash pitch. This comes from Spencer Saunders, who we have heard from before, who says, Egads, tragedy has, star- has struck in the Wigglin <laughs> family in the highly anticipated sequel to December's oh, no. hit new IP. Wiggle and Joe, Joe wiggles again. In Wiggle and Joe, wiggle no more. Joe has broken his legs. Uh, sorry, Joe has had his legs broken by the mob. Oh God! I assume that means that the mob broke his legs without his consent, not that he ordered his legs to be broken. <laughs> then, as he lays in his hospital bed, wiggling his torso, and head to the beat of the next door patient's cuckoo clock, the pain medicine gets to his head. He starts to see ghosts and other crazy stuff. Joe is institutionalized and put in a straitjacket, unable to wiggle anything but his eyes. Unbeknownst to the residents of Planet Dance, Joe is actually a weapon of mass destruction. His constant wiggling expends the destructive energy that is always building in him. But now it is growing to meltdown levels. (laughs) You play as Tappan Sam... Ooh, saucy. The only other survivor of the project that created Joe. Sam, rather than a weapon, is a stealth operative. As she taps, she becomes invisible to those around her. She must rescue Joe before it's too late. I don't entirely know what the pitch is here, but uh, I may have just written Wiggle and Joe fanfiction. <laughs> All right, thanks, Spencer. Let's, uh, let's see what we can do with that. We'll start the clock. Um, and we're done. That was the pitch. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, oh my God. Pretty fully um, formed already. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, so we're tapping Sam. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're leading 
very closely. We're going to get another email from Spencer in a few weeks that is a Toe Jam and Earl-esque uh, uh, pairing of Joe and Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wiggling Joe and Sam. So I think it would be cool if <laughs> if Sam is stealth, but maybe she is the other end of the experiment and she mm-hmm. is like a stiff kind of physics object in some way uh yeah okay here we go so there's a new game on switch i don't remember what it's called it's called like like kamala or something like that it's uh it came out around the same time as celeste and i think celeste kind of took some of its uh attention away sure uh but you play as this um it's kind of like a ninja like character that moves around by kind of like launching yourself in a certain direction and grabbing onto walls and ceilings and stuff. Oh, is this Dendara? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Den- Dendara. <laughs> Sorry, I should have, <laughs> Dan- uh, should Dandara, have been more Right, right. So it could be similar to that. This is still kind of a rhythmy type of game, but in this case, the rhythm actively works against you, uh, kind of pressures you to keep moving. So you are navigating these hallways full of patrolling enemies and stuff and you tap either on your wii u screen or click on your computer screen or tap on your ipad screen or your 3ds lower screen uh, and the character sam kind of darts off in the direction of your finger or stylus and attaches herself to whatever surface uh, is kind of on the other end of that uh, she is invisible while she moves, and so she can move around enemies, can't hit them directly, maybe maybe could attack them. I don't know. Undecided. But if you hang out in one place for too long, then you start to become visible again and your enemies can see you, and you get maybe like a bonus for uh, for tapping on the beat, and so you're kind of encouraged to always keep moving, but you also have to think things through and maybe find places to hide while you kind of observe your surroundings. Yeah. So I, this is also ripe for just in title only, um, a mobile game <laughs> or a touchscreen game, right? Yeah, just tap, yeah. tap is right in the name. So yeah. What if like you could sort of directionally like a little bit like Dandara, you directionally point Sam. And if you just kind of keep tapping, like maybe tapping is both movement, but also executing the taps is what keeps you invisible. Yeah, exactly. But even if you're standing still, maybe if you're able to like keep a beat going with your left hand, mm-hmm. uh, that could also potentially keep you stealthed out. Uh, I don't know if that makes it too easy or what, but yeah. Okay. So she's well, got to forced to always move when you tap, then you know, even if you try to like, you can try to like wedge yourself in between objects to make sure that you don't go flying in a direction, but you still stay invisible. But sometimes it would be, I just need to, I need to take a risk and blindly fling myself somewhere to make sure that I'm not found here. There was a game on the Xbox arcade that I think it was called chariot where you're kind of lugging your, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you know the game. You're kind of mm-hmm. lugging your dead dad, I guess, around. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I like the idea that on Sam's adventure, she has to kind of like knock a wiggly straight jacket Joe 
uh, through a level. So it's not just about necessarily like oh yeah yeah straight up uh, you know Dandara like uh, avoiding these things, but it's also kind of knocking and and kind of pushing Joe towards the end of every stage. It's like a good escort quest, like Resident Evil Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where Joe is also able to, uh, if he hits somebody just right, um, he can kind of you know, knock them out or potentially hypnotize him with his wiggly eyes. Like <laughs> she can get Joe uh, to face somebody like and stand him up, I guess, in some way. It's all very mm-hmm. strange in my mind because I'm kind of picturing it more as it feels very arcadey in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like um, Crypt of the Necrodancer is a good touch point. Yeah. I haven't played enough of these games. I'm... <laughs> How can we play up maybe some of the stiffness of Sam? Like, can she, maybe she is, if she's like stiff, like cardboard, maybe she can't actually stand still. Like she falls over or something. Mm. So she has to constantly be kind of jumping from point to point in a way or, or know how to kind of angle herself appropriately. If it was kind of like rigid, like a board, then she can start falling over kind of as soon as she lands and based on where she's pointed when she's falling, that oh, that that gets really complicated. <laughs> it does, yeah. Is there something about Sam that could be that could feel like dominoes, <laughs> or maybe even like something that gets stuck to a katamari ball, like something that is uh, <laughs> inflexible in such a way because you know Wiggling Joe got all of her wiggliness in this. <laughs> this is now like a twins <laughs> scenario. Mm-hmm. Joe got all the wiggliness. She got all the stiffness. Maybe she's able to like contort herself into shapes. And so she can mm. make like wedges and angles and stuff. And that's how you kind of guide Joe through the levels. But there's also that element of like, it's really Joe, like she is totally invisible to guards. And it's really Joe that she's making sure is not being seen on their way out of the hospital is that where this takes place yeah like a or like a hospital prison something like that i don't know (laughs) sure okay so if she's invisible it's difficult to have a stealth person guide somebody else around because if you're supposed to be kind of staying out of the way of guards instead of directly confronting them then how is the other person going how are you going to clear that space that they need to get through I guess what I'm saying is maybe she has some ability where she's undetectable by the guards, but she kind of has to, I don't know if there's map to the face buttons that on your controller, like a way to turn her into like hold an arm out and make her kind of Tetris L shaped versus, um, you know, kind of stick all your limbs out and become like an X. And, and that way kind of based on those, you can kind of, guide joe through these corridors and stuff and get him past the guards or maybe like she and she goes through and she clears out a small section first and then kind of like an escort quest right and then Mm -hmm. joe is able to kind of wiggle his way through Hmm. okay oh wow this is very complicated now (laughs) I, i do like that idea of turning into different shapes it's kind of like um like box box boy is that yes is that the appropriate number of boxes in the name? Yeah, little 3DS puzzlers where you are a square creature named QB who can uh, sprout, I think, three other boxes in 
various shapes and you use that to kind of like to plug up gaps or to navigate your way around these platformy type courses. It's kind of like a like an easier snake bird. One of the things that mentions in his email is Cho becoming the weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so if if Joe's wiggling energy um is is becoming toxic in a way, maybe that suggests that this is a super micro feeling experience and you're you have a strict time limit on every level and it's yeah it almost the whole thing feels like you're under the gun to get him out of the facility so you can get the straight jacket off and he can he can wiggle free and maybe at the end he can give some wiggle back to sam i see yeah <laughs> in some face-off sort of procedure or something <laughs> i assume okay all right well that's all the time that we have there i don't feel like we're quite close to cracking that nut just yet, but I think we've loosened it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't, uh, why don't y'all get in, in touch with us and let us know how, where you would take Wiggling Joe's and uh, Tappin' Sam's continued adventures. And uh, yeah, this is an interesting idea. Let's, um, I, I guess, let's give it a name. I guess to put it in the Wiggling Joe series, or do we just drop that and just call it Tappin' Sam with some sort of a subtitle on it. What um it what was the first one? Wiggling Joe Joe, Joe Wiggles, wiggles again. again. Uh I think you have to do Tappin' Sam, Joe Wiggles No More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, because I guess Spencer had suggested a wiggle and Joe Wiggle No More, but yeah, that's uh that seems like an appropriate follow up <laughs> name. Tappin' Sam, Joe Wiggles No More. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to submit anything uh, your own idea, your own story, your own picture, whatever, to us. We will turn whatever you send into a video game, figuratively speaking. <laughs> uh, and um, you can uh, you can do that at playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can email us. You can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch to pitch it to us directly. Or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Any number of places you can get in contact with us. Send us your video game ideas. We will read them on the show. And that is spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World. It's off the album Blue Noise. It's very good, and you should go listen to it. All right. And do you want to take us out with a miniature idea? Yeah. Today's mini idea is a shooter, very fast-paced like Doom, but at any point... You can reverse gravity and the whole level turns upside down. Oh, I see. Cool. <laughs> I'm into that. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye.